This is Pastor Devin, and I just want to say thanks for joining us, and I hope and pray that this message is an encouragement to your life today. Would you please welcome our first guest speaker here at Connect Church, Pastor Jason Deverna. Yeah, love you. Love you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It is an unbelievable honor to be here with you this morning, and uh, we're family, whether you like it or not, so you're kind of stuck with us. Uh, but I'll say this, it is, uh, you know, being in ministry, we've been in ministry now for over almost 20 years and been with mom and dad in Toledo and uh, a lot of different things, but to see people who have seen ministry from every conceivable angle, the ups, the downs, watching people, uh, you know, the fulfillment side of ministry, but also sometimes the painful side of ministry and to, to watch, um, people come out of that with just a clean heart a love for the house of God, a love for people. Um, I think Proverbs says it like this. It's a rare and beautiful treasure. And you have in your midst, in Devin and Ashley, a rare and beautiful treasure. We love them. And uh, can we just honor Devin and Ashley this morning? Appreciate them. Uh, we, we love you guys and so honored that you're giving us this opportunity. And, you know, Devin talked about the opportunity to invest. And I think, man, you... You're a crazy church planter, man, to, to give the opportunity that uh, you are today to just sow, to be thinking. This is what I love about Devin and Ashley and the whole team here at Connect, uh, amongst the many things that we love about them. Their generous spirit. And I know that one of the values of Connect is to be a generous church. And there's something about talking about it and, and casting the vision for it, but there's another thing to give opportunity for action to it. And God always seals the promise with a sacrifice. And I believe this morning, that's, that's one of the opportunities that we have, that, that God's going to seal something over Connect Church as you sacrifice, as you believe, as you sow extraordinarily uh, as, a, as a new church plant. To even think about generosity is extraordinary. So we are so grateful uh, for the opportunity to, to be here and um, to just to be able to share a little bit about what God is doing in our life, in our heart. And so I'll give you a little background. I'm a local church guy like the Webs. Um, I love the local church. I've been in it my whole life. I haven't been always in ministry, but I've always been connected and attached to the local church. I found my wife there. That's a good thing. Well, actually, we met on an inner city missions trip in Dayton, Ohio. And so I, was, I came from one church and she came from another church. And God moved me miraculously from the church I was in to the church she was in. It's just amazing how God does that. It's like he had the whole thing orchestrated. And so then, you know, obviously, we, that was a very spiritual move on my part, but it worked. So 17 years in, Heidi and I have been uh, married for almost 17 years. We've got three beautiful kids, Jared, who is 10, uh, Jaden, who's 8, and Jack, who is 1. So, man, we, we're... we're we're, we're crazy too. So on a lot of levels, but uh, we're just, you know, loving life, love church. I love what God does when he brings people together and, and there's a vision to pursue. And there's something about coming together as a body, being unified in heart and spirit and seeing God touch a city. And I believe that's what is going to happen here uh, in Nashville. And also, uh, you know, I pray that it's 
going to happen in Columbus as well. And there, you know, people say, why plant a church? It is a really great question. There are a lot of great churches already in Columbus. There are a lot of great churches here in Nashville as well. But I think God does something unique. Each church has an expression. Each church has a distinctive. And a lot of times that can come through uh, what God wants to do as he puts it in, in the heart of either the pastor who's leading that congregation or the opportunity to, to bring something new and something fresh, something different. And so we, we are champions of the local church, period. We love Love what God is doing through the local church, and we just want to be in on the on the party as well. And so there are like 2.2 million people in the Columbus metro area, and I just think like this: until every single one of them has a life-giving relationship with Jesus, until every single one of them is engaged in faith, in in a local expression, a local congregation, there's room for more. There is room for more. And so our heart, um, kind of the mission of our church, I'm a simple guy, so I try to keep it as simple as I possibly can. Our heart and our mission is basically to lead people to Jesus and empower them for a life of influence. And I think that uh, we want to connect people who are disconnected from God, bring them into a relationship with him. If they've never known Jesus, that they would come to the knowledge of his saving grace. If they once had a connection with Christ and aren't serving him presently, that they would connect back to God, but that they would be empowered by his word. They would be empowered by his spirit. They would be empowered by his vision and his purpose for their life so that they in turn could go and lead others to Jesus and be empowered and be an influence. I think that as far as church goes, that that should be kind of a perpetual movement to lead, to empower, and influence, that we would always see that. And that would be our prayer, that as we go into Columbus, uh, we were from Toledo originally, and then for 13 years we're uh, down at a great church called Wave in Virginia Beach, Virginia. We had the the privilege of being on team there for 12 years, and we love, I will always be, a, a great cheerleader of Pastor Steve and Sharon and the team there. Love the people. Um, and they've just been so kind to us as we've transitioned off of team and coming into Columbus. And we love them. I remember when Heidi and I, we moved in 2001 so I could attend Regent University. I've got a bachelor's in political science and then went down there to, uh, to attend Regent to get a master's in uh, something about theology and God. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, we we quickly, quickly found out that it, the reason for our being there was actually to connect uh, with the church that we were going to be a part of for the next 13 years. Little did we know, but God knew. And so uh, we, we recently have transitioned. We felt about two years ago, maybe even a little more than that, uh, we started having conversations about what's that next season look like for us and uh, really began to, to think about transitioning from our role as senior associate pastors and, and being on team there at WAVE. And God, just, you know, a lot of tears, a lot of laughter, um, a lot of fun, uh, a lot of hard decisions as well, um, but a lot of support from family and friends and, and uh, those in Virginia Beach as well. And we were kind of explaining to our kids the idea of bittersweet. You know, it's we're happy that we're going on to something new and different and what God really wants for us to do. But the sad side is where we are leaving our friends we've been a part of for over a decade and a church and, that we love and people that we love. And, you know, kind of bittersweet. And my daughter was trying to explain it to someone. She said, you know, it's... It's really just bitter apples, what we're doing. <laughs> Leaving here and going somewhere else. And so, yeah, that's for us, it's bitter apples. You know, it's, it's good and bad. It's sweet and bitter all at the same time. But we are loving it. We uh, quickly have, uh, God is transplanting our heart uh, in Columbus. I think it requires God to just do something supernatural to give you a, a heart and a desire to, to reach people in a new location. And God is quickly doing that. And I thank him for the fact that the, those who are from Columbus who are, who are here, uh, I think it, they said, at least I read an article that I think there was like a nine day stretch in November that was literally the coldest 
first November on record. So I just want to say thank you to Ohio for that. Probably means not a whole lot to you guys, but hey, welcome home. Welcome to the party. It's going to be a good time. So uh, Heidi and I are planning a church. It's called Central Point Church in Columbus. And as I mentioned, there's a lot of people uh, in Columbus, Ohio. We see Columbus as an influential city, uh, influential certainly in the state. It's the state's capital. If you look at the landscape of you know America, uh, Ohio often comes up in the scheme of politics, so I'm not a political guy. I don't want to be oblivious to what's happening in the world around me either. Um, and so we see it as a place. There's a, you know, one of the largest universities in the country, Go Bucks. I don't. I too don't have a friend for who formerly played in Indiana, but it's good to see you this morning. And uh, you know, we just believe God. God is a great sense of humor. So what He's doing, you know, I, I don't really know at all. But thank God for that, because that'd be kind of a scary thing if I did. I do know this. I love your pastors. I love what God is doing here at Connect. I love um, my father-in-law, and you know, he was instrumental in my coming back to the Lord. And it was actually my, my final. I was the kind of kid who made a decision every week in church. So I don't know. The church that I grew up in, they had 52 decisions a week or a year. That was me. If they had any more, I don't know. But at least they had my 52 decisions that year that they can have. We had 52 decisions for Christ this year. That's awesome. Oh, that was me. Uh, my final decision came uh, after I was, I'll talk about it a little bit more later. But uh, my final decision came at uh, Toledo Calvary with dad pastoring and responded to the altar call. Uh, that would eventually be, unbeknownst to me at the time, my father-in-law, which I think is a pretty good thing. So my, not just my dad in the natural, but also one of my fathers in the spiritual as well. Uh, I love what Pastor Devin has been talking about uh, with the Blessed Life series, that thought that a grateful person is a generous person and in turn a blessed person. That's kind of helped to, to drive the thought of this series. And I'm going to continue this morning on the Blessed Life, and we're going to take a look at one of my favorite Old Testament stories, the life of Hannah. And it's in 1 Samuel. If you have your iPad or your iPhone or your BlackBerry, well, that was funny. You didn't smile, but that was funny. Uh, or your Bible. You can turn to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, and we're going we're gonna to get started here in a moment. But uh, we're just going to talk about, I think God does want us to live a blessed life. And sometimes we might not start at a place where we feel like, I'm living a blessed life. And that's kind of Hannah's story. And I believe we can see in her story the process that will unfold for us to live a blessed life that God has always designed for us to live. But let's pray and invite... The Lord, Father, we thank you today uh, for your word. Lord, we invite you here. We thank you. What an amazing sense of your presence in worship this morning, God. Thank you for the team that is here at Connect, God. I pray that you would bless them abundantly. Thank you for Devin and Ashley, God. We pray that today, as we bring your word, that it would uh, do what you intend it to do in every single heart, in every single life. God, anoint our ears, anoint our heart to receive what you have for us today. May your word be alive and active, accomplishing what you desire for every single life. God, you know every concern that is in this room. You know the hairs upon their head. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I trust that you're there, and and Samuel, we may have it up on the the screen as well. I'm going to cut in at verse number three, but basically this is uh, Elkanah, who is Hannah's husband, starts to go into the story about um, them going every year to worship. So, in verse 3, it says this, Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas and Ferb, the two sons of evil, I added Ferb in there because my kids like Phinehas and Ferb. For those, anybody with little kids, you, you'll understand that 
I'm trying. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, uh, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Isn't that a typical man, ladies? Baby, you got me. I mean, what else do you need? Have you looked at me lately? And then uh, as she kept on praying, thank God she did, to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, but in her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. I'm sure she felt like getting drunk. Not, not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. What I love about Hannah in this story, so many things. In this context, culturally, Hannah's a Hebrew gal, and we're talking about living a blessed life. Well, in that context in time, not having child was, was something that would actually be seen as God removing the blessing over her life. And here's a gal who, uh, in terms of a cultural context, and obviously even in the scope of the dynamic she was involved with with her family, when she would go to the house of God, that person was there to pester uh, and to really berate her and be cruel to her to the point that she cried, she fasted, uh, not because she probably wanted to fast, but because she was so wounded in her heart and in her spirit in anguish because here's this beautiful gal going year after year to the house of God and seemingly what's happening. But I love her persistence and I think it can teach us a lesson. The first lesson to living a blessed life is this. It is stay connected, especially when life is difficult. You know, I, I love to put flesh and blood on this. And I think about Hannah and the, the challenge that she was facing, the stigma that she would have been, uh, you know, in her world and attached to her because she hadn't yet born uh, children and just the pressure of all that. But I think here she is having to go again. And Elkanah says, hey, baby, it's time. Let's go. We're going to go uh, to, the, to the house of God. We're going to bring our offering. And we can all relate. I mean, there are some meetings or things that we don't necessarily want to go to. And your spouse is like, no. Duh, <laughs> we're going, we're going to do this. I mean, you know, so here's Hannah in this moment, probably debating in her own heart saying, God, what am I, what am I doing? Uh, I, I don't want to do this because year after year, I come to the house of God. I bring you my best. I bring you a sacrifice. I bring you an offering that's the best I can bring. And year after year, I go and year after year, nothing's happening. And year after year, this woman is berating me. Nothing's happening. But I think she teaches us something that, that as we stay connected it opens up the door for us to live a blessed life. One of the things I love about the church, it's you. It's not the building. It's not uh, the idea of church. It's not doing a meeting. I love all those things. I just love church. But it's the people. Because sitting in this room this morning, there are heroes of the faith. People who are living extraordinary lives of faith, who maybe in the natural ought not be in here today who've seen things and experienced things, heartache, pain, you know, maybe financial challenges, maybe uh, a mom and a dad who have a son or a daughter who aren't serving God, and they say that as a parent, you're only as happy as your saddest child. 
Or maybe it's a family that's going through the, the, the terror of divorce and the, the trauma of that. A marriage that's been broken, a dream that's been dashed. But yet they find themselves in this place or in churches all over this country and all over the world willing to come to God, to worship in his presence, to bring the best offering they know how to bring in that moment in time. You know, I've got a great friend. I guess he's, uh, he's gone to be with the Lord, but he was a great friend and mentor of mine. His name is Bill Tahanchuk. I've got a friend here this morning from Virginia Beach. He's recently moved to Nashville with James, and James would know uh, Bill. So let's welcome James. He's a great guy. One of the funniest people you'll ever meet. You've got to have a combo with a very funny guy. Uh, but Bill was just a great man. Bill had cancer. And I watched Bill uh, come to church every Sunday, and he would just worship God. You know, I'd never heard Bill complain once about having cancer. I never heard Bill doubt one time whether God was able to heal him. I never heard him doubt his faith. I never heard him uh, say anything that would be uh, less than faith-filled. What I saw from this man was on Sundays, while this disease was quietly ravaging his body, he would stand in faith with people. He would pray for people to be healed of cancer. He would lift up his arms and he would worship God with all of his heart. Well, Bill lost the battle with cancer, and I guess he just didn't receive his healing on this side of eternity. But he never lost his faith, and he never lost his love for church or the house of God. He never lost any of that. And Heidi and I have had the privilege of watching his wife, Gay, who a wonderful woman, sit in the seats where she sat for years with her husband, believing in faith that he would be healed and worship God, and lift up her hands. When Moments that I know were difficult, moments that were heartbreaking and heart-wrenching, but there she found herself, made herself come to the house of God, come to church, to get in the presence of God, to lift her hands, to worship him, to give him her very best. Now, I don't know what you're facing this morning, but I want to encourage you What can we learn from stories like that? Well, we can learn that when life doesn't turn out like we expected, what do we do? We come to God. When life, maybe you're filled with pain and regret, what do you do? You come to God. When you feel guilt or shame, what do you do? You you don't run from God in those moments. That's exactly what the enemy would have you do to run, to flee, to feel like you're not worthy. But God says, come to me. Come to God in those moments especially. And when you feel like your dreams may be dead, what do you do? You bring them to God. I don't know what you're facing this morning, but I do know God. I know that he's good, that he loves you, that he's for you. And this morning, I would encourage you, no matter what you're facing, stay connected. Stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected to the church that God has planted you in. Stay connected to the life-giving relationships that he's put in your world. You see, we have this uh, DVD set called Earth, I think. It's something along this. It's like a National Geographic kind of a thing. You may deem this bad parenting. Quite possibly it is. But in that DVD series, they have this one section where they have, it's like the lion pack is on the hunt, right? And so they're hunting down these gazelles, and they're, you know, they're doing the prowl, and they're getting, getting everything in motion. They're getting everything ready. And uh, w- what do they prey on? They prey on the young, They prey on the old. They prey on the vulnerable. And their strategy is really pretty easy. It's the same strategy that that Satan would use with us. It is to get them disconnected from the community so they are then vulnerable so then he can attack. 
you know, and what we watched that our kids were freaked out by a little bit, but you know, it's just, son, that's nature. It's just going to take its course. Now, what do you do with that? I don't, I don't know. But that's what the enemy does with us. He seeks to get us offended, to get us disenfranchised from the community that God has us in because he knows in community there's protection. He knows that if I'm open and transparent with the people God has placed me with, we can go through anything together. But if he can get you alone, if he can get you offended, if he can get you distracted, boy, it is a prime opportunity for him to pounce. And that's exactly what he does. And that's a strategy he will use on so many people to get them disconnected. I promise you this. There will be times we all have opportunity. We'll be disappointed. We'll be hurt. We may even be offended. If, if that hasn't happened in your life yet, that's awesome. But maybe just be aware. Chances are at some point in your journey, some of those things may take place. The key is this. Don't be afraid of it. Already know what you're going to do in spite of it. And resolve in your heart, today, I resolve today to stay connected. I resolve today to stay connected to my Jesus, to stay connected to my church, to stay connected to my family and the people that God has joined me to. Resolve in your heart to live blessed. And the second thing is this. Your peace and your promise are found in the house of God. I love this. In, in uh, 1 Samuel 17 It says, Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Hannah was a worshiper. And because she was found worshiping in the house of God, she had an encounter with Eli. Listen, year after year, seemingly nothing had happened. Year after year, she brought the best sacrifice she could bring. Year after year, she was found in the house of God. And yet, this time, this moment, she has an encounter with Eli. And he says to her, woman, what you're praying for, it's going to happen. He gives her a promise of fruitfulness and peace. Now, I think oftentimes we look for peace in the wrong places. Now, we may look for peace in a relationship. We may look for peace in uh, drugs or alcohol or in uh, maybe even in financial security or in business and just, you know, if I do all these things right. But at the end of the day, your greatest peace will always be found in the presence of God. I think sometimes we don't realize just one word, one moment from heaven can change everything. One moment. Now, I remember uh, before I made my final decision that I talked about before to serve God, uh, I had plans. We, we were going down to some friends of mine uh, down to Panama City, and we were going to do, we weren't really doing Christian things in there. And so that was the plan. We just, well, we're going to have a good time for a week. That was it. That was the plan. And, you know, we get about two days in, and my friends were building a, a monument with cans, you know. I'm not going to tell you what kind of cans they were, but they were building a monument with cans. And I remember standing in the apartment is about two days into the trip, as God would do. And I, I, I stood there. I will never forget this moment all of my days. And I thank God for it. I was standing there. I looked over. I saw my two friends. I saw the monument we were building. And it was like the whisper of heaven. And God just said, Jason, is this what you want for your life? I have so much more for you than this. 
in that moment, I was pretty well ruined. Spring break was not what I had ultimately envisioned to be. Thank God for that. Uh, I came back and then made a decision for Christ and responded to an altar call that my father-in-law gave, and that was the turning point of my life. And since then, we've been living in the fruit of, of that decision. That's what the church is all about. Now, I was in a place that I shouldn't have been. I was doing things I knew I shouldn't have been doing with people I probably shouldn't have been hanging out with. And in that environment, think of it, in that environment, God, in a moment, changed my life. That's powerful. That's what God can do. See, the church is the the place of the great exchange. You can come in one way. You can come in heartbroken. You can come in distraught. You can come in, God, I don't know what I am going to do, but you can leave with your head held high, with faith that your God is by your side, that you can and you will move forward in life. This is the place of the great exchange. You can find your peace and your promise, as Hannah did. She came into that place, and there was the promise of fruitfulness, and she left not downcast any longer, but with hope. Number three is this, that in the course of time, your fruit will silence your critics. You know, in this story we have, in the beginning, you have Hannah being criticized and uh, just being, lady was being pretty brutal in things I'm sure she was saying and just tormenting her. But in the course of time, your fruit will silence your critics. What did Hannah do? She kept doing what she knew to do. She kept going to the house of God. Probably it sometimes didn't really feel like it, but she kept bringing her sacrifice. What happened to the mocker's voice after Samuel? Because once that fruit showed up, the voice disappeared. And I want to encourage us when it comes to our lives as well, that you stick to what God has put in your heart. You stick to, to living according to his principles. You stick to living according to the patterns that he has laid out. You choose to live a blessed life. And I promise you, you choose to live blessed, you're going to get critics. And blessing is not just material. It is a, your whole life to be blessed, every element of our lives to be blessed. And it might sound like this. Hey, man, you spend a lot of time in church. What is up with that? What is wrong with you? Why do you give so much? Are you serious? You're, you're, giving, you're giving to church? Oh, why would you do that? You, you mean you're giving your, your you, you don't just go on Sunday. You actually serve. What, what do you mean by that? What, you, you, you get there an hour early to help? What's wrong with you? You're planting a church. Are you crazy? What, what? It'll all happen if you haven't heard it yet. But what do we do? We just keep doing what God has called us to do. I love, there's a great Old Testament story in Nehemiah. And here is a guy who is serving a king and God burdened him to go back to the city of Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls. And so he was prepared. And when the moment happened, he went to the king and the king gave him a resource. He goes with the intent to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down. He starts on the task and then he gets some critics, uh, Tobiah and Sanballat, who begin to pester him, begin to heckle him. Oh, you can't really, you're not really going to accomplish that goal. You know that, right? I mean, you're not really going to build a thriving church in Nashville or in Columbus, right? You, You do realize that, right? What do you do? Well, what did Nehemiah do? He just kept building. He just kept doing what God had put in his heart to do. And eventually, what did Nehemiah accomplish? Guess what? He built the wall. And what happened to the critics? Well, 
they had to shut up eventually. And the same thing will happen in our life as you determine to live a blessed life, as you choose to say, God, I'm going to follow your principle. I'm going to live according to your word. I'm going to live according to that pattern. Eventually, the fruit of your life will silence any critic that you have. And I would say this, I believe, that eventually they'll come calling to you when they're in need. When, they need, when something happens in their world, guess who they're going to be knocking on? It's going to be your door. Why? Because the fruit of your life has silenced the doubt. People are critics for one of two reasons. They are intimidated and afraid of what you can do. Or they're just wanting to fight. People who are scared and intimidated in the course of time, you're going to, they're going to see the fruit of your life and they're going to be potentially won over. People who just want to fight, well, they just want to fight. So if you want to waste your time talking to them, trying to win them, you can. I say, don't worry about defending yourself. Look at these examples. Just do what God has called you to do and let the fruit of your life speak for itself. Don't worry about it. Just keep on plowing in the things that God has called you to do. Don't waste your energy fighting battles you were never meant to fight. You know, I had a friend. Well, no, I wouldn't call him a friend. He was actually a rival. His name was Greg Bryant. And every day on the bus, we had a, I had an hour-long bus ride in elementary school. It was pretty amazing. Think about it now. Uh, but Greg Bryant and I, he was, he was like my Panina, whatever this gal's name was. He was my rival. Every day on the bus, we would fight. Without, uh, just every day, we would, I would get on the bus, we're fighting. Not necessarily, you know, me beating him up all the time, which I could have done, by the way. Um, but verbally, we would, you know, joust. I remember one time he said something about my dad, and I was like, oh, no, I don't think that's not going to go well. <clears throat> so, well, you know, we just, we had it out, and I got in trouble by Mrs. Spicer, who was my bus teacher. She met a, made an indelible mark on my life. Um, she didn't like me very well. And so I, I remember coming home, and Mom was like, well, Jason, what is the deal with you and Greg Bryant? Man, you've got to stop fighting the, with this guy. I'm like, Mom, he said something about my dad. And, and so well, what did he say? And I told her, I'm not going to tell you what, what he said. And, uh, and she's like, well... He might, he might, he's a little bit right in that moment. And here I am. I'm defending my father's honor. And my own mom says, well, the kid, my point is, is just choose to fight the right battle. Don't waste your time fighting battles you were never meant to fight. And our, our final lesson today is this, and that is that God never takes. He only multiplies. I love this is where this story begins to get really really beautiful. Second Samuel, or first Samuel chapter two, verses 18 through 21. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year, his mother made him a little robe. Can you imagine that taking the little robe uh, and, and bringing it to the house of God with her husband at the annual sacrifice? Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife saying, listen to this. May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and did what? Gave to the Lord. And then they would go home and the Lord would be gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons, two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Man. Now, I believe, I think we could gloss over that story and think, well, naturally Hannah would give the boy up. I mean, she did promise. But how many of us, I mean, I've done it before. God, if you do this, I'll do that. And I'll never do this again if you do this. And then here we go, you know, down the road and find yourself 
praying that prayer of, God, if you get me out of this one, I'll never do that again. Hannah had a choice. The reality is she had a tough choice. Now, scholars say she probably nurtured Samuel for, you know, depends on what you read, two to five years of feeding, nurturing, connecting with the promise, with the dream that she had dreamed of. I'm a dad. I couldn't imagine what that moment must have been like when after several years of being with this child, it's like the whisper of the Holy Spirit, a whisper of the Spirit of God says, it's, it's time. Could you imagine, Hannah? What, time for what? No, no. It's time. In that moment, she would have known exactly what he meant. And in that moment, she knew she had a choice. I think she could have very easily kept him, very easily chosen not to honor the promise she made. People do it all the time. But she didn't. She honored the promise. And what was Samuel? Samuel was the first. He was the promise. He was the dream. And what did God do when she sowed that promise back to God? God gave her what she didn't pray for. She asked for one. One boy. Whoa. One boy. I know. Watch that stuff. I almost, that would have been, that would have been a lot more laughter than this, you know. Thank God. Cat-like reflexes. One boy. She asked for one. And God gave her six. That is the extravagant multiplication of God. See, the world would, would want you to think God is a taker. If, if, The enemy wants you to think anything of God. He wants you to think that he is a taker, that God is a taker, that he will take what you have and you won't get anything good in return. That you have this life, you have this dream, he's just going to take it. For Pete's sakes, he took a little boy's lunch. Imagine the field day CNN would have with that. Jesus took the boy's lunch. But the reality is God is never a taker. It's not in his nature. God is a giver. And if he ever asks something of us, that means that he has something better for us down the road. I do believe that Hannah could have kept Samuel. And I think if she would have tried to protect, I mean, think about it. Eli's sons were not good boys. Okay. They were the priests in charge. They had a reputation in the nation of not being good, good guys. They were naughty. They were naughty priests, not good priests. And she could have easily said, listen, God, I know I made the promise. I know Eli, and I trust him. But these two, I don't trust them. Circumstances have changed. I'm the best one to care for the boy. Easy, easy ask. Easy moment of her to make that kind of turn in her own heart. But she didn't do that, did she? She gave her promise back to God. I think about that little boy, Samuel. What if she would have kept him? Here's a little boy who grew up to be the mouthpiece for God to a nation. Here's a little boy that grew up to anoint the kings of Israel. Here's a little boy that anointed King David. You see, our dreams are never really about us. 
The promises of God, they're never really just for us. It is always about others. It is always about what God wants to do in and through our lives. And as we honor him, and as we give our best, and as we sow and we sacrifice, even when, it, when it's painful, that was a painful moment for a mother, I promise you. And every year she brought him little clothes. He never left her heart or mind, I promise you that. But if she would have held him, what would have happened to the nation? Who's on the other side of your obedience today? What's on the other side of your obedience today? Because there's always another side. That means this morning, if you're a business person, your business isn't just about you. It's not just about providing for the family. And it is. It's all that, yes. But it's not just that. It's more than that. It's kingdom. It's a kingdom principle that you have the gifts, the talents, the resources that God has blessed you with. Not just for you, but for others. Maybe you've got a skill that you should be serving. Maybe you have a dream. Make sure that we live that open and generous and releasing life. I think Hannah in this story, to me, is an amazing picture of what it is for a grateful person to be a generous and releasing person and in turn a blessed person. She never forgot what God did for her. She honored, she gave, and God multiplied the blessing over her life. When we began this story, where was Hannah? She was a grieving woman. We would hardly call blessed. But in the end, she is a blessed woman. Why? She stayed connected. She found her promise in the house of God. She ignored her critics And she knew that God is not a taker. He's a multiplier. Now I would ask you this morning, and me, what will you do with the whisper of heaven? Will we respond like this? Closed? Or will we respond like this? Say, God, I know. Now for some people this morning, it might be, God says, it's time. It's time for you to forgive. It's time for you to let go of that hurt. It's time for you to let those things be gone. For others, it might be a revelation that, man, it's time for me to give an extravagant gift. For others, it might be, man, it's time for me to start tithing or start serving, start giving my time and resource and energy. For others, it might be, the dream you held on to. It's time. I don't know where you sit this morning, but I know the Holy Spirit does. And he's far better than any human voice to speak to people. I believe God will speak to you this morning and touch your heart. And what will our response be? Thanks again for joining us. If you want to join us on Sunday, we meet at 10.30 a.m. right next to Wilson Central High School or check us out online at connectchurchtn.com. Thanks so much and have a blessed day.